Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. We are celebrating Peyton Pritchard and Derek White on this pod. We'll get to the other guys. Uh We'll get to Smart. We'll get to Tatum. But we're celebrating those legends and the fact that the Celtics have the number one seed in the East. All of that next on First to the Floor. It's going to be First to the Floor here. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Uh, as I mentioned there, your Boston Celtics are the top team in the Eastern Conference of the NBA. In fact, they're the top team in the league. Jackson's here to talk mm-hmm. all about it. Jackson, how you doing, sir? Very well, sir. Yourself? Uh, I'm on cloud nine. What can I say? I mean, yeah, I, I was at risk of being highly depressed after what looked like was surely going to be a loss at the hands mm. of the OKC Thunder. Uh, and yet here we are. We can add spirited comeback to the, the catalog of games so far this season, Jackson. Uh, I imagine you're feeling quite spirited as well as a result of today's game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I'm not one to give up on the team, but we've watched this team and basketball long enough to just to know when the vibes aren't right or the feeling isn't right. And for me, I don't know if you want to get into the game right away, but there was a point like early in the third quarter where I was just like, yeah, you know what? This is, it just not, isn't going to be one of those things that the three balls not going down. We're turning the ball over like just really softly. Um, it just did not feel like it was on, but lo and behold, we've, we pulled out a comeback and, um, yeah, and we got the win. So I'm absolutely stoked with that, man. And you're right. It was, it was going to be, it, it didn't look good for a second there, but what do you know? Yeah. Pulled it out. Finding ways to win seems to be the, the theme of this team, uh, as the, the mm. season starts to mature before we get into the, I guess the nitty gritty of the game, Jackson, are you surprised given everything that's happened in this young season and particularly in the off season? that these um, Celtics are the first seed at this point? Not not initially. Like, if you say surprise, like, I want to say no, but then you take a moment and you start to process everything that's happened so far. Like, the Gallinari injury, you know, feels like a million years ago, but that was going to be, you know, a significant piece of the rotation. The Robert Williams thing, um, we all know. Then, you know, that was all before the shitstorm that was Ime Yodoka, yeah. Um, and, and the coach being replaced. So if you consider all of that and, you know, and if you just want to rattle off some of that, like, you know, defensive stats, you would probably think to yourself, yeah, like being first seed, like despite all of that is 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 really surprising, really incredible. But like... <sighs> We were in the finals last year, man. Like, I mean, I think we were we were destined to be like one of the top four, five teams, like straight off, off from the get go. So the fact that we're the first, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, it's just mixed emotions, dude. But I mean, as as far as like being here right now, being the number one team, like it just, it just feels damn good. So that answers your question. Yeah, not, no, it, it does um, partially. And I should yeah. say, I should have said this right up the top here, but shout out to those in the chat. We are streaming at a weird time. Yes, for the majority of our audience, obviously based in Boston, being a Celtics podcast. We are streaming at a very 
Sydney, Australia, Cheers East Coast friendly time. Cheers. Jackson with the beer. So shout out mm. to maybe a different audience uh, joining us live for this one. I am surprised that they're the first seed because all of that stuff with Udoka, the, the Rob timeline, the whole like second procedure, it's now eight to 12 weeks. And then yeah. Gallo shredding his ACL in the FIBA tournament. That was September, right? Late September in the case of the Udoka situation. It's now, what, the 15th, the mid-November. Yeah. Um, and here we are. We've completely turned it around. Turns out that Joe Mazzulla is essentially an offensive coaching genius. And here we are yeah. with the best offense, <laughs> offense in the league with the number one seed. So it's surprising that it's sort of come to fruition in this way so soon given all of the obstacles that we've had to overcome so far. Um, yeah. What- and I guess historically, we're always slow to start as well too. So to be like, you know, 13, 14 games in and to be the number one, like anyone can be number one after like two or three. Like that just happens all the time. But like, it's a decent, like, albeit small, it's still a significant chunk of the season that we've gotten through. So to be number one after that, I think is telling. I think it is. Are there any teams in the East in particular that you're still scared of, despite our being atop the, the throne, so to speak? Um, not Philadelphia, because I'm never scared of them. <laughs> of course. Even if Joel Bambi's scoring 159 points and, and 70 blocks, I'm still not scared of them. Um, I think not really, to be honest. Like, we haven't played them all, to be fair. Um, the Atlanta game on Thursday, Australian time, is going to be, I think, very interesting, given mm-hmm. that they've um, that they've beaten the Bucks twice now, I think, or, or just the once. But either way, twice. that'll be today. a big game. Twice. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um I think regardless of how Milwaukee play, you know they're going to be there at the end of the year. And I think because of what happened in the playoffs and just the general, you know, us being the number one, them being the number two, and that's probably going to like chop and change throughout. There's a special place in their minds for us that I think Giannis and them will just go to another level when they play us. So until I see that on display and and how and what that looks like, that could potentially be scary. But if you run down the rest of the East Conference, like... Not not particularly, no. No, I think they have every right to be scared of us. But personally, no, no one scares me at, at this point in time, no. Yeah, it's crazy how quickly the perception of the Eastern Conference has changed so early in the season. Like so many mm. teams that were propped up prior to the season starting, you know, like the Heat, I guess the Nets as well, have shown themselves to not really be Philly, yeah, in that sort of contention mm. level status. And the Hawks have shown at least that the Bucks are beatable. But to answer my own question, the Bucks. Obviously, I would say most Celtics fans feel the same way. Let us know if you're in the chat how you feel. Uh, with with Giannis and just like you said, Jackson, that, that we are a presence in their mind considering how their season ended last year. Um, to have that in the presence of Giannis's mind should rightfully scare anyone. Uh, and it certainly yeah. uh, keeps me up at night. So I am worried about the Bucs, but it is good to see that the Hawks have at least proven that they're beatable. We uh, come up against the Hawks in a couple of days. We've actually got Chris Forsberg coming on the podcast right after that game, uh, which will hopefully be our eighth consecutive win. I think I'll, I'll be able to sleep better at night, Jackson, if we can beat the Hawks, who have beaten the Bucks. I know it doesn't work that way, but it, it shows that we are sort of superior <laughs> on, a, on a very so circle of, silly level. Circle of victories are, 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 are you, can, you cannot argue with them. They, they, they determine who is the best by far. So <laughs> Absolutely. Should we get to this Thunder game? The, the Celtics... Let's- They've won their seventh straight, beating out the Thunder, 126 to 122. Jackson, broadly speaking, we'll start very broad. We'll narrow it down. What was the story of this game? Winning despite really not playing well, at least for three quarters. I thought that fourth quarter was was pretty sexy overall oh, yeah. uh, in terms of not, <laughs> not, not just the offense that like we've seen, you know, that, that's come to be sort of like our identity to a degree so far this year, but the defense 
Does that, you still leak 122 points and SGA, you know, absolutely is almost unguardable, particularly when he goes to the rim. Um, but, you know, we, it just felt like every other possession was a, was a turnover, was a, was a steal, um, which led to either, you know, breakaway or fast break points or even if it doesn't break the points, like get, taking those possessions away are super important. So, I mean, everything prior to that, as I alluded to at the start, um, when the three ball doesn't doesn't go down, it's an extreme example, I know, but I just I just keep thinking to myself, if we're a team that relies on threes, what happens if we pull a Houston Rockets in the game seven against Golden State and just miss like 21 straight? Like as yeah. as unlikely as it is, like if you live and die by the three, you you will crash and burn and die horribly um, if it doesn't fall down. So given how poorly we were shooting, I think we were like, it probably got worse than this, but I remember the last time I saw it, we were five of 26 or something absurd like that. So when that happens, you, you just, it, 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 to me anyway, I think we got no chance. And it felt like every bucket that OKC, every time we would have maybe a miss and an offensive board we, that we would miss again, um, OKC would just go down and either shoot a three or get an and one. And it just kept felt like even it, when we threatened to make a run, it just kept getting pushed back. So um, the story of it for me is like really just overcoming adversity and and grinding a win out. Um, how did you see it? Yeah, I mean, that was certainly the general consensus from everyone, the podcasts that have been released thus far post-game, all the post-game interviews that it was just like a maturity display, right? That this team could find a way to win no matter what. They shot 9 of 36 from 3 in the end, but they got mm. to the line 29 times versus OKC's uh, 17 times. And really, I mean, I thought the first half was atrocious and I was starting to write up my notes that this was like the least inspiring game of the season. And in the first half, we saw nothing from the bench. I found myself starting to beg for Malcolm Brogdon to come back. Super low mm. effort in the first half. And, and I think the guys talked about it after the game as well, that like, you know, it was their third game in four nights or whatever it was. And OKC, while they're a young, scrappy team, and they, they certainly showed that tonight. Like, shout out to OKC, shout out to Shea Gilgis Alexander, who was incredible. Yeah, the Celtics definitely came out with a lackluster effort early in the game. Uh, JB, like Jalen Brown, don't get me wrong, had a great scoring first half, but so many defensive lapses got cut back door. I think at least twice, once by Josh Giddy, possibly by Poku as well, who, by the way, looks like he's auditioning for Trainspotting 3. Tatum. <laughs> the uh, zombie edition of Trainspotting 3. Yeah, absolutely. Eyes are sunken in and shit. Some sort of mashup. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, we gave up 69 points in the first half, which is obviously nice, but not ideal, nice. uh, particularly uh, as we're trying to improve our defense and, and sort of show that we still have at least somewhat that defensive identity to give up that many points against a young, inexperienced team like OKC on their second night of a back-to-back -back is not ideal. Tatum as well, particularly in the first half, gave us the, the new iteration of the worst version of Tatum, which is uh, really good in that he was making fuck-all shots, but hitting, like getting to the rim, still scoring really efficiently at the rim, getting to the free-throw line uh regularly and just generally like giving us a, a stars game in that like okay I'm not like there's no razzle dazzle to my game I'm not hitting my step back threes but I'm still like scoring efficiently and still at least keeping the team in it 
Um, yeah, still getting texts for whinging at the refs, supposedly. Yeah, absolutely. We, we do need to get that to is the uh, a personal insult. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, and meanwhile, like Poku is also like waving his arms and clapping at the ref, but for whatever reason, mm. the refs just ignore that. Uh, halfway through the third quarter, so first half was terrible. Getting into the second half, halfway through the third, there was that sense of we need a run now, or Joe Mazzola needs to sit the starters and just run the bench the rest of the game. It had that feeling of like. It's now or never, guys. It's getting away from us. Enter Peyton Pritchard, <laughs> who like had a few um, moments of excellence throughout the game, but particularly 2.41 remaining in the third quarter, Pritchard enters the game, Smart goes to the bench. In that remaining two and a half minutes, Pritchard, he gets his third offensive rebound of the game. Smallest guy on the court by far, by the way. Third offensive rebound of the game. It's a three to cut it to nine. Then a steal and that super speedy, like Mighty Mouse style layup at the buzzer to end the third quarter. Cuts it to seven. And then at this point, we're seeing a lot of uh, White, Derek White, who was amazing as well in his own right, and Peyton Pritchard full court press to really put this pressure on the, on the Thunder, which was a huge part of the turnaround. Then to start the fourth quarter, Derek White steal, gets to the line. Then a Peyton Pritchard three. Uh, then another Peyton Pritchard steal. White and Peyton Pritchard had six steals between them in this game. The Celtics had 10 steals total in the second half, 17 points off turnovers in the second half, just six points off turnovers in the first half, and the Thunder had a nearly 20% turnover percentage in this game, which is absolutely insane. That's one-fifth of their total possessions they turned the ball over on. So the defense for the Celtics, it is there. And we just unfortunately didn't see it at all for the first half of this game. We saw it cranked up to shout out Spinal Tap to fucking 11 in the second half, which is thankfully what turned the the game around for them. But a really, really inspiring second half after really shitting the bed in the first half, which is exactly what everyone needed, including the Celtics, to get the seventh straight win. Any additional thoughts there, Jackson? It's super refreshing that the two names that you mentioned, uh, White and Pritchard, two guys off the bench that really, you know, got that run going. Um, yeah, man. I I think also shout out Josh Giddy, by far the 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 the, the premier Australian basketballer that going around at the moment. By in far. my opinion, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was a comment that was about. I reckon he can be as good as Ben Simmons one day. It's like, well, that was like last week or something. But um, no, there, there was a point where Josh Giddy just like walked past Jalen Brown and, and laid it in. I think that was like right at the start of the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And again, that was in the midst of my, of me just like accepting this as a loss but back to what you were saying um you know Pritchard and White you know those two guys particularly in the absence of Brogdon who's just been like you know the 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 absolute focal point of the bench unit like everything goes through him and like when he's on it almost it's almost like everything goes through him anyway so in that in the absence of that and when the bench was struggling to to turn it around with defense that's probably the most satisfying aspect of 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 this win that you know it was the it was the guys that you wouldn't necessarily expect to contribute who sparked it and yeah i i just thought that was that was super satisfying what a luxury to have a guy like Peyton Pritchard as like sort of your 15th man right like a guy who only plays very situationally in this case Malcolm Brogdon who you said is like the the pillar of our bench at least from an impact perspective mm. from from any perspective really Peyton Pritchard Joe Mazzulla said it after the game is like always ready and you always know what you're going to get from him. And so like while what he did in today's game was incredible, it is in no way surprising, but it doesn't make it any less fun. It was a lot of fun to cheer for Peyton Pritchard and to watch him have the impact that he did in the moments where 
Like he kept he came into the game at like two forty one remaining in the third, and I think everyone, including myself, was just like, "All right, Peyton, like now's the time. You need to have a moment." And he had yeah. so many moments between then and the end of the game. It was really incredible and fun from a fan perspective, and just the team have given us so much so far this season to cheer for, and just that little additive, just a little here's a little bit of a little sprinkle to borrow Spoody's terminology of uh, of Peyton Pritchard was a lot of fun. But Jackson, yeah, it was sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, and it's almost like he was been like the forgotten man. I think we've been like talking in our chat about like, you know, should we be trading him now that we've yeah. got Brogdon and White, like Brogdon, White and Smart. Obviously, that's a, that's a very like you, you could not crack that guard rotation like if you tried. But I think Jalen mentioned like he's got a little bit of Jose Alvarado in him and Alvarado like likes to hide in the corner and steal the ball out of nowhere. Well, I think offensive rebounds is becoming his thing. Like you've <laughs> got incredible. all these six, six, seven, like seven footers like standing around about to take this ball down and he just like zips in like a little mouse, like between your legs and just nicks it down and just gets the pass out or lays it in. Um, that That's becoming his trademark or that's at least becoming his like signature move so far this year. And that is like invaluable. Hey, to get that, particularly get that off the bench from a guy that's like as tall as me. And I'm like, what? Six, nothing <laughs> thereabouts. Yeah, so, he's six one yeah, apparently, awesome. but he doesn't look, you yeah. know, a, a skerrick above five ten. So the story thus far in the game is that the the starters, the, the key rotation pieces, just didn't have it. And then Peyton Pritchard and Derek White came in later in the third and really shifted the energy and the T D Garden crowd really got behind them and that clearly permeated through the rest of the team. But Joe sorry. Jackson, <laughs> How dare you? Kind of, I, don't, I don't know what came over me. Um, there was there was one player for the Celtics who clearly uh, closed this game and, and really mm-hmm. took it home for the Celtics. Can you tell me who that player was? Well, we mentioned the three guards, right? Well, the first two did their part. The third, Marcus Smart, a.k.a. the alpha dog, the leader. Yo, it's him, right? That's who you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Particularly that crazy clutch three over Dort, which is a syllable yeah. uh, to, to basically put the game out of reach. And Derek White followed up with another really clutch three. Um, but I, I suppose the, the three popped over Dort is particularly special for us Celtics fans because Dort and Smart are like a little bit of a predator handshake of like defensive superstars in the league i suppose mm. and for yeah. smart to basically i don't know if i can say dominate him i want to say dominate him but he was like he was clearly the better player over dort in this game uh culminating in that that you know um that dagger style that three-point shot over dort smart had 20 of his 22 points in the second half and suichi Tirada from a celtics publication that i'm forgetting the name of apologies to suichi uh, had a quote from Joe Mazzulla after the game on Marcus Smart, quote, we're a reflection of him and his leadership when he's poised on the offensive end and he's playmaking and getting the ball where it needs to go. Uh, he's making great decisions. We're just a different team on the offensive end, uh, which is it's crazy. It's like the, the defensive impact for Marcus Smart, it's almost, it feels like a bonus at this point, almost like we're taking it for granted, Jackson. And it's really his sort of elite playmaking and everything that he's offering from an offensive perspective is really the focus this year. Uh, just any thoughts on Smart's impact, not only on this game, but really in the last five games where he's really come into his own? Yeah, I'd like to say it, it's it's all thanks to me because I put him on my <laughs> fantasy team literally about four or five games ago, and I think he had I think he had ten points against the Nuggets or, or something unimpressive, and ever since then it's just been like forty, fifty, sixty. So you're welcome. Um, but from <laughs> from the offensive, like for me, he's always been like an, an incredibly good passer, an exceptional playmaker, 
Um, the shot has been a lot has left a lot to be desired, but you can see at least in the last five games, I think he's like he's he's taking threes that you know you should be taking and hitting mm. ones that you should be hitting. Yep. Um, he's got that. I don't know if it's new. Like I, I, I don't know if I'm like observant enough to say it's definitely a new thing. But I just feel like this year he will drive into the paint. He'll like pivot around and he'll just find some like little jump shot that's like super close range that I feel like he never misses or never gets blocked either because you know he's a big guard. So when he decides to take like someone like Dort on in the post, he's normally going to get that that shot over him. Um, but I mean his assist to turnover ratio, I, I don't don't know how many turnovers he had this evening. I'm sure he had a couple or so, but um, he had more assists. So that assist to turnover ratio just keeps. Um, getting wider and wider. So, yeah, it's almost as if, like, he, defense has just been his calling card and his thing for his entire career. Well, now that he's got that, it feels like he's almost mastered that to a degree. So now it's time to let the offensive side of him shine. And when he does need to go into his bag and pull out a steal or pull out a turnover or take a charge or whatever, he can do that, like, at a moment's notice. So he just, to me, it's the next evolution in him becoming, like, a more, you know, complete point guard. And, I mean... <sighs> This might be a little bit of an exaggeration and maybe a bit biased, but like I feel like he's starting to like get himself into that sort of elite point guard, you know, discussion. I know he's not. You certainly wouldn't have him up there with the scoring capability of someone like an SGA or you know the the you know the overall maturity and savvy of someone like a Chris Paul. But like he's been he's been an excellent point guard and exactly what this team has needed for you know two season and a half now. And you know if that had culminates in another deep finals run, then. Shit, man, I won't hear anyone telling me he's not like a top, you know, six, seven point guard in the lead, if not higher. I don't know if that's a super hot take or, or whatnot, but that's just that's just how I feel. I feel like he's just he's just climbing that ladder, man. Yeah, I feel like if you canvassed fans around the league, league wide, that they might be considered a hot There'd take. But, but we know yeah. as Celtics fans that like Smart is at his best and he's so good at this when he's setting the table so that the Jays can feast. And it took him yes. a few games to begin this season to sort of find that rhythm and remember that, like, that's his optimal role. But now he's been doing that for, I guess, if you look at the stats, sort of five, six games. That assist to turnover ratio took a little bit of a dip today. He had three turnovers and eight assists in this game because mm. he really, unfortunately, had quite a, quite a poor first half. But in general, he's been really efficient from the perspective of setting up everyone else on our team to, to succeed. And in this game, he set it after the... Uh, I think in the in the locker room, the post game interviews, he gave the game what he needed, or uh, what what the game needed, and in the yeah. sense that the Jays, who we'll get to in a second, weren't really hitting at their regular clip. Jalen Brown had still had a really nice scoring punch, but just didn't seem to have, I don't know, like that X factor that he's had in, in so many games prior. And certainly, Jason Tatum had a really poor shooting night, but still got you know got to the line and, and had his impact. Marcus Smart came in late and just like finish the game, just close the game. And it's not something that we've seen from him at all this season, but just for him to to understand that was what was required from him at that specific moment, rather than like chucking threes from halfway through the first quarter when we were down, waiting until that, that juncture in the game to really, you know, put his mark on it, I think really shows a lot of maturity from Smart uh, and from the rest of the team to sort of allow him to sort of fill the gaps at that moment in the game, like know that he has that ability to to fill those seams in that moment in time in that yeah. particular situation. It's all a, a, sort of a, a broad all around maturity from the entire team for it to go down the way that it did because we've seen it go all of the other ways, right? As like 
<laughs> as weathered Celtics fans who have been watching Smart since 2014 and the Jays grow up and all of them try and like figure out what their roles are intertwined, to see it go down this way in this set of circumstances is really satisfying. I think it's like fully come to fruition, the dynamics between those three guys and the rest of the team as well. So bad first half, really, really satisfying end of the game. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it doesn't really matter how poorly you start the game as long as you you finish it, you know, appropriately. If we if we had lost by like one or two points, then we could sit here and we could bemoan all of the all of the shit that went on in the first half and like, you know, moments throughout the second as well, too. But man, just winning just just sort of like cures everything <laughs> to a degree. So um, but I mean, yeah, you gotta get you gotta get games won and you gotta get things done in a variety of different ways. And this had this had f- I hate this term, but I'm just going to use it. Fake comeback written all over yeah, it. Yeah, it did. Um, in the sense that you would get back from 15 down and you would get there, but then it just felt like OKC were just like a three, a stop and a three away from just putting us to bed. Um, but it didn't happen. We were the stronger team finishing. And I think, yeah, I think it's a deserved win given what we showed in the fourth quarter. I think that might be becoming a thing of the past, Jackson. I think we might be yeah. looking forward to it. And, and Joe, who's a you know regular member of our uh, podcast, he said this in our Slack after the game, like, this is the kind of game that the elite teams win. Where, like, mm. no, we're not just um, taking that final punch from from the Thunder in this case and, and being beat down and getting put in a position where we can't come back. We continue to find a way to claw back despite all odds or against all odds. Uh, and the Celtics did that in this game, which is not, has not, as you sort of alluded to, Jackson, being characteristic of them, like, ever. <laughs> ever since Pierce yeah. and Garnett were traded. Uh, and yet, here they are, uh, which is really good to see. Jackson, you are the, um, I don't want to just say self-proclaimed, because I think you've genuinely earned this title, but, like, the vibesman mm-hmm. of our podcast, the vibes expert, uh, unofficial doctorate in just, like, getting the vibes there you go, Gino T-shirt, very well, uh, very well dressed there for this one, Jackson. I'm going to play you a clip of Marcus Smart's post-game interview, and then I just want your expertise on, on the vibes uh, coming out of this clip. We had a battle with Detroit on the back-to-back. We played physical and fast as well. Coming in, we started off a little sluggish. We just have to keep talking to one another, keep going, and find a way, and that's what we did tonight. You haven't had one of these sort of grinded-out kind of games. How does that feel for this team to find a way to win? It felt great. You know what I'm saying? Ah! <laughs> Yeah, Al, it felt great. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It felt great. You know, um, last year around this time, we would have lost this game. You know, and and the thing about us, about self-improvement, is acknowledging that and understanding. You know, so, to, so tonight we wanted to come in here and try to fix the things that we can fix. <laughs> so we can fix that, and that's what we did tonight. We found a way. Yeah, and I think I counted like seven or six butt or head rubs. Um, but- normally you get one, <laughs> one or two, but like everyone wanted to come over and get and um and and show him what's up. So um yeah, man. Um you can just tell you can just tell that the the vibes are good, the the spirit is up. Um they play there doesn't appear to be any like black sheep or like anyone in this team that is just sort of like, you know, what's he doing here? Like I would have said Schroeder was that last year, and you could have said that that was, you know, Kyrie for a while. Even Kemba to a degree. I know he was like, you know, very, you know, in with the team and stuff, but you just knew he wasn't really there for the long run, didn't really fit with the timeline stuff. I feel like I feel like it's no one on this team. Uh, everyone is very much together, and um, and that interview is a perfect reflection of that, in my opinion. Ten out of ten vibes. Ten out of ten vibes. There you heard it from the vibes expert. That's awesome. Uh, look, we've got a few people joining us in the stream. Obviously, like we said, it's it's off hours for for the Boston 
element of the fan base, the majority of the fan base, let's be honest. But let us know your thoughts on the game. Jackson, do the poor games from the Jays, and I, I use that term loosely because like, obviously Jalen Brown scored well. Do the, the poor games from the Jays bother you at all? Um, not particularly. I mean, Jalen did turn the ball over a lot. Um, I felt like Tatum wasn't, well, they both shot the three very poorly, but I can sort of, no, not, not just sort of, I can absolutely just write off a bad three point shooting night because it just happens to the best of them. You know, I've seen, you know, Steph Curry's gone like two of like 18 before in a game, you know, it, it's just going to happen from time to time. So for both of them to, to both have less than impressive, you know, three point shooting games, that's fine. Um, but again, it doesn't bother me because if you look at just the raw stats and you look at the results and you look at, you know, the ways they contributed um, outside of scoring as much as they did, like if, that, if, that's, if that's the poor standard, if that's like a, an off game for them, then, you know, there's, you, you, there's no way you're going to find me dedicating any kind of energy to explaining why that should be worrying or that's a bad thing. I've seen games where like Tatum scores like 39 and feels less conducive to, to winning or feels like he's more or less doing his own thing and not playing within the team mm-hmm. than when he shoots a little bit poorer, but contributes to a win. Is that making sense? It sounds a bit like gibberish. I'm no, not worried at all. No, it's, is, it's, is, is to answer your question. It, it <laughs> totally does. Like, I'm just looking at the box score now and Tatum, you know, one for nine from three, 11%, mm-hmm. which is crazy, but got to the line 10 times, hit eight of them, three steals, three blocks, 27 points. Still shot 40% from the floor, like obviously a poor shooting night. And then Jalen Brown, like similar, 26 points, also had a, a positive plus minus, got to the line six times, missed all of his threes, but 52% from the floor. Like we, we talked about it earlier, but like these are the quote unquote bad games for these guys. And it mm. speaks to the standard that they've set, that like they they come in under that bar that they've set and still have these incredibly impactful games. And, you know, while we celebrate the impact from guys like Pritchard and Smart and why, like, we're not in a position for those guys to come in and have the impact that they did without the Jays, like, playing the way that they do. So, you know, we've talked about maturity a lot on this podcast and, you know, already this season, a number of, you know, us on this pod and a number of other podcasts and fans alike have all talked about this. It's the it's the maturity of the Jays, right, that they can come in and have these quote-unquote bad games and still have that, you know, superstar having a bad game style impact on the game overall. So I'm not worried uh, at all. Anything else as we start to wrap up the pod, Jackson, any other sort of, I guess we're at the miscellaneous points of the pod now. Like we talked about the officiating, the dodgy officiating earlier on. Mm-hmm. Do you want to expand on that at all? Because there were a number of questionable calls, particularly off-ball offensive fouls on the Celtics and a couple of texts there as well. Yeah, there were a couple of moving screens, I think, late in the second quarter that just made no sense to me whatsoever. I think we saw about... 500 traveling calls, which I mean, I'm in two minds. I think there is, you watch basketball long enough. Well, sorry, I'll rephrase that. I've watched basketball long enough to know that, you know, refereeing is more or less subjective most of the time. So you can tell in the first few minutes if it's going to be, a, this is a by the book kind of crew, or if this is a, let's just let him play kind of crew. And it's when, I'm not saying we, we didn't necessarily have that tonight, because they certainly did seem to call it by the book, but they're just, as a scal was saying, like a lot of these fouls, like just don't really impact, you know, the the game or the play that that's unfolding. So it does feel a bit like they're just they insert themselves into the action for 
uh, no other reason other than just to remind everyone that they've got the whistle. But again, I, I also like to sort of, because when I'm watching a game, I'm, I, I will, I will cuss out a ref, the referees like to no end and it'll, it'll get pretty dark, but you take a few breaths and particularly after a win, you're like, yeah, you know, it's probably a hard job. So look, I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, go too hard of them. I think the refs that we had for the Chicago game that we lost where both Grant and Jogo kicked out mm-hmm. and I, I could, I can go on for a while about that if you would like me to, but as far as today's concerned, man, it's, you know, irritating is what I would say. Some irritating officiating, but at the end of the day, nothing that was, you know, egregious or makes you want to like, you know, write a stern letter to the NBA or anything like that. You know what I mean? How did you feel? Well, the the Tatum tech I thought was ridiculous. Absolutely uh, ridiculous. True. The Tatum tech was crap. Even yeah. just within the scope of that game, like reputations aside, there were other reactions from Thunder players. I mentioned Poku earlier, equal or greater in intensity to Tatum's reaction in that instance that were not called tech fouls or not really paid any mind at all. So I thought that was pretty frustrating. Grant's tech, like uh, at this point, and unfortunately, like as fans, we're just not surprised when Grant gets a tech just because of who he is and how he is uh, Mm. and how open he is to arguing with referees. But it, it doesn't make it any less disappointing because they're so preventable. And it does put the team on the opposing free throw line uh, and it does serve to change the momentum of a game. Not that the momentum was in our favor at all at that particular juncture of the game. Uh, still frustrating. I do think that Grant needs to reel it in because these tech fouls do have a, as the, the cats made an appearance if you're playing first of the floor bingo at home. <laughs> um, the, these, there is a cumulative effect to these, these tech fouls and we don't want to see Grant you know, in a situation in the playoffs, for example, where he's like, right on that DeMarcus Cousins line of like, I can't get one more additional tech foul or I'm going to be suspended for a game. So that's that's troubling. Mm-hmm. A few other missed points. Um, we mentioned the Celtics were 9 of 36 from three, but got to the line 29 times, which is a, a huge sort of non-Pritchard, Derek White reason for them winning this game. The lack of Brogdon, I think, is starting to show. And I, I really hope that he comes mm-hmm. back against the Hawks who allow... I think they're the third worst at allowing shots at the rim in the league at the moment. So Brogdon and his ability to get to the rim uh, is going to be paramount in that particular game. We're really starting to miss him. I don't know how much longer we can hold on and keep this streak alive uh, without without Brogdon back. So I'm, I'm really ready. I hope the hamstring's okay because I'm really ready for him to come back. Um, sticking with the miscellaneous points, Mike Gorman described Joe Mazzulla as, quote, not a casual chewer, <laughs> referring to his like <laughs> incredibly intense style of chewing gum, which I thought was awesome. Um, and the Thunder out-rebounded the Celtics 51-46. to 46. That's all I've got as far as misc notes. Anything to add there, Jackson? Yeah. Um, on the Joe Mazzola thing, is, it an, is, it, is this true or is it an urban legend that if you like chew copious amounts of gum in a single sitting, it's like it creates a laxative effect? You ever heard of that? No, I would have thought, like, my guess would have been that it, like, burns extra calories, but uh, laxative effects? I don't know. That's uh, somewhat- If you're in the comments and, you, and you, you're just dying to, like, educate me on, on gum to laxative, you know, uh, links, like, in, enlighten me. But- Do your own <laughs> if research, that's true, that man must that man must spend, like, you know, must go, like, team talk to the media and then just straight to the can and just- Stay in there for a while. But then again, you know. <laughs> yeah. A la Jason Tatum <laughs> leaving the game in the fourth quarter against the Pistons to, to go to the bathroom. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> to move on and to get to the final couple of segments of this pod, we have gone long for summarizing one mid-season game against the OKC Thunder. Joe loves math. Joe Mazzola loves math. So we're going to look at some numbers here. The Celtics, they do have the league's best offense still after this game, 120.4 points per possession per cleaning the glass. The second in effective field goal percentage at 57.8%. First in turnover percentage at 12.6. And fifth in free throw rate at 23.5 per game. Defensively, currently the 22nd ranked defense in the league, which is not great. Mm-hmm. However, in the past 10 games, 10th, 10th best defense in the league and the first ranked net rating. So that defense starting to creep up, offense upholding the standard, staying where it's at. Um, Jackson, defensively, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Like, what, what are you noticing from the Celtics? And this is a tough game to sort of apply this question to because particularly in the first half, like there's, there's very few derivative, derivatives here. What are you noticing from the Celtics that they're sort of starting to elevate about their defense? Um, it, it does appear that we looked at there's more intensity like on the ball as, as you know, from my uneducated eyes, as far as I can tell. Um, but you're right, man. If I'm going to wax lyrical about defense and, and say some things that, <laughs> that, that aren't true, I'm going to look, I'm going to look very silly, but I will just say it is as satisfying as awesome it was to have like, you know, the number one defense last year and that to be sort of like our calling card. It's just way more fun when the offense is going. And I, I missed your name in the comments there. Sorry, but I think believe he said Missoula shits offense um, probably after all the gums that he has. So yeah, there we go. Uh, Tyrellosaurus. Thank you, mate. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, I think, I, I wonder if everyone's sort of just, this is thinking to themselves, we'll be okay once Rob gets back and we'll just, you know, we're just going to sort of like, you know, prioritize the offense, do what we can, but like, you know, it's not going to be really our calling card. It's not going to be something we're going to focus on too much until we're, we're whole again. That's probably not the case at all. I'm sure they have, you know, like deep defensive schemes to go off of that. But I mean, to me, dude, the most important defensive statistic is, did you allow less points than you scored? And we've done that 11 times out of 14. Uh, and that's the most anyone's done in the NBA. So as far as I'm concerned, that's the best defensive metric you have to work off. Yeah, stick your uh, advanced <laughs> analytics up your... Um, uh, I won't finish that clacker. sentence. <laughs> up your clacker, thank you. <laughs> I was looking for the, the PG <laughs> the edition. <laughs> version of, of finishing that sentence. Marcus Smart, to stick with, you know, sort of dishing out the interesting numbers uh, so far this season. On post-ups, we saw Marcus Smart post-up uh, Dort... At least once in this game, I believe he posted up mm. Shea, Gildas Alexander, and he's been posting up sort of smaller guards throughout his career, but particularly late last season and early this season. He's currently tied second in post-up field goal percentage among guards with a minimum of yeah, right. 0.5 post-ups per game. He's hitting at a clip of 75% out of shots out of a post-up, which is crazy, behind only DeMar DeRozan, who's doing so at 83.3%. Who, you know, DeMar, post-up game is a huge part of his game, and he's almost bordering on small forward in terms of his size and uh, dimensions. Um, So smart, incredibly efficient in, in that particular look, and he was getting a few of them later in this game as part of getting the Celtics back into this one. Tatum... Quick check-in on Tatum's stats and I guess how he's sort of faring in the MVP race. Third in scoring behind Embiid and Doncic at 31.9 per game. 
but he's also playing more minutes than both of those guys um, by a, a semi-significant margin. He's shooting 37% from three, averaging 1.4 blocks per game, which is huge as he's sort of filling that Roma role while Rob Williams is out of the game. Uh, true, true shooting percentage, 64.1. So we talked about Embiid and Doncic being uh, better scorers. It's actually well above Embiid and Doncic, as well as above guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Giannis. Only Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard are at a higher level uh, of minutes played and usage rate while maintaining a higher true shooting percentage. So Tatum is like fucking well and truly up there as far as his impact and his efficiency at such a high uh, usage rate and minutes played. Uh, before we get to Sam Hauser's nickname, potentially changing to Brickhouse, um, oh, no. <laughs> uh, any any thoughts you want to add there? I, I talked a lot of stats there as far as Smart's post-ups and, and Tatum's just general MVP case. Anything you want to add to that? I think they. I think Scal said this during the broadcast that Tatum at like late in the in the game had now become the highest total point scorer since 2000, 2000, uh, sorry, 2000, 2020, season. Right. Like he just passed Jokic. That's wow. mental. Hey? Yeah, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> I know he, hasn't, he hasn't been anywhere near, uh, no, not anywhere near, but he hasn't like, you know, had the scoring title or anything like that. But if you just look at it like holistically, and again, you talk about like, you know, the, the total minutes played and his, you know, his durability and his availability and the fact that he is, you know, he, he has had some stinkers before and he has had some very inefficient nights. But to put up that many points on a team that's, you know, that's trending like this and has been like at the upper, the the, the pointy end of the Eastern Conference for for years now. Um, yeah, dude, I, I think I, I think if health stays on his side, which it has for the longest time now, and we can end up with like the second or third best league uh, record in the league, if not the first, then man, you know, Doncic is going to have to do some just absurd shit to take <laughs> that MVP away, and Giannis as well. And I think if you know, if you're above Giannis in the in, in your in your conference, and you, you know you're producing at this clip, the man, I it feels like it's it's destined to be him this year. Very early days, like 14 games of an 82 season, I know, um, but. You know, it, it, it just feels like it feels like it's really starting to, you know, gather momentum and he's really going to be there at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And if Giannis keeps losing to the Hawks and if Tatum rocks up in Atlanta in a couple of days time and beats the Hawks, right? I mean, obviously, that's a very simplistic take on the MVP race, but it's, uh, it's only going to bolster his case. I talked about Sam Hauser, House Money, potentially being renamed Brick House. He's down to 23.5% from three on 5.7 attempts per game in the last three games. Two of five in this game, so still 40%, which is like borderline elite three-point shooting. Um, Do you think, like, what do you think that comes down to? Is he just having like a, as he sort of settles into like by far the most minutes played in any period of basketball in his adult life, is it that or is it uh, different sort of defensive looks that opponents are throwing at him? I mean, surely a combination, but I f- I'm, I'm going to lean towards that this guy was, you know, a garbage time contributor and like a very selective, very limited minutes role player for his entire career. Now, the the words out and his, his shooting at the start of the season sort of just propelled him into this. This is like, you know, the best three point shooter that's ever lived. Um, and now he's got to, you know, be a, a reliable and consistent member of the rotation. And I think... You know, I don't think his defense is is really that bad. In fact, it's probably better than we thought it was. But, you know, 
if you're if you've got to defend multiple possessions, you got to get up and down the court. When that ball comes to you, when you got defenders closing, you got to release that that bastard real quick. Um, if if you're not accustomed to that sort of wear and tear, and then like that, what you've got to go through in the game, I imagine um, that's throwing him off a little bit. But you know, uh, is is his new nickname Brickhouse? Absolutely not. It's still House Money. This is a rough stretch for him. Um, if it's not Atlanta then it'll be New Orleans and whoever we've got after that. He's going to have a game where he is shooting, where he has a four for six or a five from eight or, or something like that. Like, I know I know he's going to get back to it. This is not a Carson Edwards situation. <laughs> um, he'll he'll be he'll be raining. He'll be making it rain real soon. I'm, I'm certain of it. The house always wins. He won't go the way of, of Quadzilla. always wins, baby. Yes. <laughs> Shout out Carson Edwards. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when we saw the league cotton on to Grant Williams' three-point prowess, he, in the offseason, developed a series of counter moves, which we've been fortunate enough to be uh, enjoying so far this season. It looks like Hauser's going to have to develop that sooner rather than later. The, the league is clearly, you know, Sam Hauser, like on a scouting report near you, right? Like he's, he's clearly made yeah. the scouting report of all opposition teams recently. That's going to continue to be the case if like he has poor shooting nights like, like tonight and is still shooting above 50% from three for the season so far. So he's going to need to develop some counter moves to counteract that. I was hoping we might see like a career high assists. I think his career high in assists is three so far in his young career. Just as as a measure of him reacting to the added defensive focus from the opposition and maybe finding ways to counter that. That's obviously going to take some time to develop, but I, I believe that he has it in him. Like he's he's demonstrated some pretty high basketball IQ so far in the way that he cuts off ball. Um, so I don't mm. doubt that he can sort of factor in those added elements to his game as far as countering uh, that defensive pressure. Uh, miscellaneous items before we wrap up, Jackson. Jared Weiss said that uh, after the game, Jalen Brown said he had a knee contusion in the game before last. And then the game before that, he had a slight right ankle sprain. So that's why he sat out the second night of a back-to-back. Um, so just good to have a bit of clarity there on Jalen Brown's status. Kevin Durant on Twitter during the game said Jason Tatum just received the worst tech I've ever seen in the NBA in a while. I'm actually laughing. Uh, we talked about the officiating. We don't really need to, I guess, um, expand on that at all. Just suffice to say that Kevin Durant agrees with us again, Jackson. Yeah. And that was his non-burner account too. So, yeah, you know, he, <laughs> he, he means it. And he's proud of it. Um Sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, well, let's wrap up. I mean, 45 minutes on, on one midseason game is uh, clearly we struggle to be succinct uh, and keep things brief in, in these matters, Jackson. Next game is against the Atlanta Hawks. They're 9-5. and five. They've got the 10th best point differential in the league, the 15th ranked offense, the 5th ranked defense. They just beat the Bucks for the second time this season. Uh, they're a relatively poor offensive rebounding team, 17th ranked in the league so far this season. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, they allowed the third most attempts at the rim, the fifth least attempts from three, which if today is anything to go by, could actually be a good thing, Jackson. Mm. Just broadly speaking, what are your predictions for this game? Do you think the Celtics can pull this out and get their eighth straight win? Yeah, I, I do. I think where I, I didn't, I haven't watched, um, I didn't see much of their game today to, to know if this is like completely inaccurate or not, but I think Trey Young's been having a pretty rubbish start to the year. By his standard, um, yeah. Obviously, yeah, by his standards. Um, obviously, DeJounte Murray's been, has been really good for them. I think Capella's even playing rather well. You know, they talked about like not allowing attempts at the rim or like, um, or, or they do allow attempts at the rim and they're not, uh, you know, rebounding um, particularly well, which is mad because I always envisioned Capella as you know, someone who solves both of those things. But anyway, 
Um, I think it's going to be a very tough game. I mean, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if if we didn't get it done, but I don't think we're going to be dominated. I don't think it's going to be, you know, one of those games. I remember always going to Atlanta and just being down by like 12, 13 the whole game. And it's just, it just stinks. I don't think it's going to be one of them. I think, I think it's probably going to be another shootout um, as has been all of our games or at least, you know, uh, when it's been close, they've been high scoring affairs. So I think it could be another one of those. Um, I think the win streak is probably going to come to an end sooner rather than later. It's as much as it pains me to say, but I think I think you get up for this one because because you know what the Hawks have done uh, to the Bucks, and it looks more than likely that the Hawks are going to be in and around maybe the fourth, uh, the fifth, or maybe even the fourth seed. Um, again, early days. So I think this is a game you got to take seriously. It's on the road. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say we're gonna get it done. Just yeah, I mean it's hard to you know considering what the Celtics have done so far this season, it's hard to bet against them in any game. And I don't think they're gonna have the same mm. nonchalant style approach to this Hawks game that they had against the Pistons in the first half and and the Thunder in the first half. That they're, they're on the road, they're visiting the what who are currently the third seed in the East. It's an important mm. game. It's a platform for the team to demonstrate their dominance. So I think it's going to be more of a wire-to-wire, like hardcore effort from the Celtics. That said, you know, DeJounte Murray is an incredible and crafty defender. Trey Young is an incredible, crafty offensive player, whether it be the the pick and roll with uh, Capella or John Collins and just his own three-point shooting in his own right. And typically, Mm. this iteration of the Celtics have struggled to defend um, both dynamic guards in ISO, but also dynamic guards with a good pick and roll partner. So John Collins or again, Capella in this case. So that's going to be a challenge for this team. It's going to be interesting to see what the defensive coverages uh, look like in that pick and roll action, whether it's Murray or Trey Young as the ball handler and whether it's Collins or Capella as the roll man. That's going to be really interesting to see. And I I think we're at a a juncture in the season where I'm excited to see that because I want to see what our pick and roll defense against elite pick and roll offenses has evolved to and what it looks like. So I'm excited for this game, um, but I would obviously (laughs) choose the Celtics in this one, given where we're at so far. Uh, All right, that's going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, review. Uh, All of that stuff stuff is super helpful for us as we continue to build this platform. Wednesday night after the Hawks game, we have a very special guest by the name of Chris Forsberg joining us. The first Forsberg appearance of the season Really looking forward to that one. In the meantime, Jackson, love your work, mate. Thanks again. Thank you, Ben. Cheers. All right. The Celtics are awesome. See you next time. Peace. (laughs) 